came on the text. First Kings chapter 19. I knew it was 19, 1 through 12, or 12, 1 through 19. I wasn't sure which one it was. I was in the ballpark, though. First Kings chapter number 19. We're taking a break from Proverbs tonight for this week. And next week, we won't have the evening service, so we'll be back in Proverbs in two weeks on Sunday night. I want to do a message called Defeating Discouragement. Discouragement is so prevalent in the Christian life. I thought it'd be, I just felt led to do a message where we address that tonight. First Kings chapter 19, if you're able to stand as we read the scriptures together. We're going to read verses 1 through 12. The Bible says, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, Let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die, and said, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake bacon on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with a sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains, and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray your blessings upon your word this evening, Lord. We are but men. We cannot apply the word properly. We cannot make heads or tails of the word without the Holy Spirit's intervention. So we ask humbly tonight that you would open our hearts and apply it to us this evening, Lord, as you see fit in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. It's so easy to grow discouraged in the Christian life. Weariness comes with weariness, often comes discouragement. It plagues all of us from time to time. I think it's important to think biblically about how to deal with bouts of discouragement, don't you? Let's hear from a few people who are well acquainted with discouragement. Listen to Warren Wiersbe. He said, the remedy for discouragement is the word of God. When you feed your heart and mind with its truth, you regain your perspective and find renewed strength. Billy Graham said, the Christian life is not a constant high. I have my moments of deep discouragement. I have to go to God in prayer with tears in my eyes and say, oh God, forgive me or help me. I'll come back to these quotes a little bit later on. If you've been on the journey of the Christian life for any length of time, 
then you know that discouragement is normal for the Christian. The Christian life can be lonely, can't it? We're outcasts from society. We don't fit in. We don't follow the trends. We don't, well, we buck the system, don't we? We make others uncomfortable. Why can't we just go along with it, they might say. Why can't? Why do you have to cause trouble everywhere you go? It's what preachers hear sometimes. It's what men like Elijah, when he stood before the prophets of Baal and King Ahab, Ahab said, are you the one that's troubling Israel? In other words, why are you causing all these problems? And Elijah said, it's not me that troubles Israel. It's you that troubles Israel. You're causing problems leading others astray to worship false gods. If you're faithful to the word of God, you may find yourself an outcast, even in Christian circles, by the way. Even within the church, it's not popular to take biblical stance. People get angry, people get offended, people get, what's the term, convicted. Even among Christians, there is a stand that you can take where they say, you know, that's, that's too far. Don't be so harsh. Don't be so strict. You're such a legalist. You ever heard that before? I have. Turn to Hebrews chapter 13 real quick with me. Hebrews 13. As Christians, our job is to take a biblical stand, and that's going to cause discouragement. We're to think biblically. People will come to you with all kinds of things, with this and this and this. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? When that whole blow-up happened with Alistair Begg recently, I got asked by 20 people, what do you think about what he said? I said, what does the Bible say? It always comes back to, what does the Bible say? If you live your life with a book, chapter, and verse, your life will be a lot more comfortable. Not to the, those around you, but to yourself. I can stand before God and say, I believe I think biblically about these issues. Right? So we don't, we don't ask, what does the culture say? We don't even ask, what does the church say? How does the church feel about that? I don't care how the church feels about this or that. What does the Bible say? Right? Churches can be wrong. Pastors can be wrong. Commentaries can be wrong. Society is always wrong. What does the Bible say? The Bible is never wrong. That was our message this morning. We can trust the Bible. We can trust the Word of God. God is honest. God cannot lie. What He's given us is trustworthy and true. What does the Bible say? Hebrews 13, look at verse 13. Let us go forth, therefore, unto Him, that's Christ, without the camp, bearing His reproach, or bearing the reproach that He bore. Jesus was crucified outside the gate of the city of Jerusalem. The picture here is that he was rejected by earthly Jerusalem, but received and glorified in the heavenly Jerusalem. Look at verse 14. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. What it says is we're going to have to follow Christ outside the camp. Now, what camp is he talking about here in Hebrews? He's talking about the temple. He's talking about the religiousness of the day. Jesus was not accepted in the temple. Shocker, right? He walked in the temple and said, beautiful. You realize there's not one stone left upon another that will not be thrown down? He wasn't pleased with their worship. These people, they draw near to me with their lips, but their hearts are far. 
Jesus was not accepted within the religious community. And so for you and I, sometimes that means that we have to go after Christ. If we're going to go after Christ, we're going to be rejected by even religious people, by churches. I've been a part of churches. I had to leave because they did not believe the Bible. They rejected core doctrines of the Bible. Well, there's a lot of doubt as to what that doctrine really means. No, there's not. The Bible says what the Bible says. Sometimes we're outcasts everywhere, whether it's religiously or whether it's in society, and that can bring discouragement. We don't seek the earthly, we seek the heavenly. In the context of Hebrews, we don't seek to be accepted by earthly Jerusalem, but by heavenly Jerusalem. And if one is going to follow Christ, he must cast off this idea of being accepted. Christ wasn't accepted. Christ wasn't approved. Now, there's a, there's a negative side to this. There's a lot of people who do a lot of bad things and say, oh, I'm taking a stand for Christ. It's not what I'm talking about, though. What I'm saying is there is, within this world... If we're going to follow Christ, we're going to be rejected by the world. The world hates Christ. If you don't realize that, come to me. We'll go back to Las Vegas and we'll preach. The world hates Christ. They, they didn't hate other people that were out there. Uh, I, I, didn't see one, uh, I didn't see one Jehovah's Witness get cussed at while I was in Las Vegas. Not one. We were set up a couple times by the black Hebrew Israelites. And as mean and aggressive and racist as they are, they never got accosted by anybody. People walked by and simply ignored them. But you get on a microphone and you say, Jesus Christ is the one true God. And he commands that you repent and believe. Boy, I tell you what, they got angry. They got in our face. They swore. They threatened. You know why? They hate Christ. They don't hate false religion. The world loves religion. Let's get it out of our mind. The world hates religion. The world loves religion. That's why we have yoga and meditation in public schools. That's religion. That's why I was watching a commercial the other day. was talking about uh, health and wellness. I said, take time every day to breathe and meditate and clear your mind. That's religion. They're okay with religion. They're not okay with Christ. If you're going to follow Christ, if I'm going to follow Christ, we cannot seek to be popular in the world. Okay, Christians who are popular with the world have a problem, right? Because they shouldn't be. And you're going to be unpopular sometimes within the church community. Because if you haven't noticed, there's a whole lot of churches that don't love Christ. We were watching one the other day on YouTube, a church on Super Bowl Sunday. They're wearing Super Bowl football jerseys and playing football on the stage with a Bible. And they kick the Bible as they're kicking. Can I tell you something? If you're going to follow Christ, that crowd is not going to like you. They're going to call you a legalist. I'm not saying all churches. There are good churches out there. But I'm saying within American evangelicalism. They're few and far between. There's a great many churches, especially the big mega churches, 
who love money and people and power and numbers more than they love Christ. And they get as much like the world as they can to draw the world in. Can I tell you, that is a faulty philosophy. We don't convert the world by being like the world. We, we, we convert the world by preaching the clear gospel of Jesus Christ, and God saves sinners. I mean, we can get a big church. We can fill the room. We had a conversation with another pastor at the Super Bowl outreach. We are talking about gimmicks in churches. And uh, the church we were meeting at, they were very gracious to let us meet there, but they were throwing a Mardi Gras celebration that Sunday. I thought, Mardi Gras, such a wicked... Do people know what goes on at Mardi Gras? We can't sanitize that. Let's have a Christian version of flashing people and orgies. We can't, you can't do that, right? We're talking, I told them, I said, I could, I could in, in three months fill this church and need to build a new building. It's not hard. Nice band, some pyrotechnics. You can fill the church, but we're not, we're not seeking to fill the building. We're seeking to reach people with the gospel. And that's not done by kicking a football across the stage, or kicking a Bible as a football across the stage. But it can be discouraging at times. Rejection, constant rejection. Listen, as Christ was rejected, so his followers will be rejected. We cannot follow the suffering servant and not suffer ourselves. And we cannot follow the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and not ourselves be acquainted with grief and sorrow. Likewise, we cannot follow the one who is rejected of men and be accepted by men. Turn to John 15. John 15, verse number 18. John 15. Verse number 18, Jesus is speaking here. He says, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, then the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. It's not us they hate, it's Christ in us the world hates. But that doesn't make it any easier, does it, to be rejected, ostracized, blackballed. I remember uh, I was watching a, a post on Facebook. It was uh, from a group here in Lomita. And somebody was, there was some loud noise, and somebody's asking, who's making all that noise? And somebody else commented, I think it's that religious zealot. I knew they were talking about Tetsuo. I just knew they were. He should tell me he preached around that corner with his horn. He'd drive by and preach. So I know who they're talking about. They're talking about Tetsuo. And somebody says, no, no, no. I haven't seen him for a while. 
I think it's just a homeless guy banging some pots and pans. And the person comes in, oh, well, that's better than the alternative, meaning the religious guy preaching the gospel. A homeless guy banging pots and pans is more acceptable than a man on a speaker preaching the gospel. You know why? Because the world hates Christ. Hates Christ. We sing that hymn, Man of Sorrows, what a name, for the Son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim, hallelujah, what a Savior. That's who we're following, if you're following Christ tonight. You're following the rejected, suffering servant of God. Don't expect to be loved and welcomed and accepted. But with that comes great discouragement. Don't get a pious on me and say, Pastor, I never get discouraged. I just always know my proper place, and I never, it's always for the Lord, and I don't get, please. Elijah was a better Christian than me. If he gets discouraged, I'm going to get discouraged too, right? Our text tonight, and you can go back there, 1 Kings 19, deals with a moment of discouragement in the life of a very godly man. What does that tell me? That tells me discouragement is not ungodly. It's not a sin to be discouraged. It's not. Don't let discouragement make you believe that you are less than godly. David was discouraged. John the Baptist was discouraged. Remember when he sent word to Jesus from prison? Are you the one who's become we look for, he was, you can't tell me he wasn't discouraged sitting in prison, facing death, going, is, are you the Messiah? Were we wrong? Is there somebody else? All throughout Scripture, discouragement can be seen even among the godliest people. Elijah had just seen great victory. In the last chapter, he confronted and defeated the prophets of Baal. What, a, what a mesmerizing experience that was. On Mount Carmel, he Challenges the prophets. We all know the story. Challenges the prophets of Baal. You guys make an altar. I'll make an altar. And they make an altar to their God. And they begin to call upon their God. And their God doesn't answer. They scream. And they rend their clothes. And they cut themselves with the rocks. Pleading for their God to answer. And their God is silent. And Elijah even begins to mock them. Make fun of them. Where's your God? Maybe he's asleep. Talk louder. Maybe he's on a journey. Can't hear you. Leave a message. And then he makes an altar for the Lord and he mocks them again by pouring water on it. And then calls on the Lord and the Lord consumes it by fire, the water and the sacrifice and everything. What a great victory. And then Elijah has those false prophets killed and done away with. What a moment of great victory. And we get to this very next chapter and he's under a tree going, God, let me die. Let me, I can't do this. Let me die. How do you go from the victory of Mount Carmel to the sorrow of the juniper tree? And the answer is discouragement. It's quick and it's powerful. You may have great spiritual victory today. And then tomorrow, be telling the Lord to take your life. I can relate. I had great spiritual victory in Las Vegas. We saw great victory. It was a mountaintop experience. 
what God was doing there, to, to see people saved, to see people call on the name of the Lord, to see the spiritual warfare, to see us lose our housing and then get housing miraculously within hours, to be sick all week only to get better right when I left. This wasn't a regular sickness, by the way. Before you say, Pastor's always sick. <laughs> Someone's thinking it. No. Jason saw me that morning. I wasn't sick. I was in close quarters with a lot of men and cars and vans. Right up again, nobody else got... You know what? I didn't spread the sickness. It wasn't a natural sickness. It was spiritual warfare. And I came back pumped up. I think my attack came back pretty excited after that trip. I felt good. And a couple days later, I hit this low of discouragement. I laid in bed and said, Lord, what's the point? What's the point? It made me think about, I need to talk about discouragement, because discouragement comes often after great spiritual victory. Don't get so prideful in a moment of great spiritual triumph to say, this can never end. It can end. It can end. God will test us. Sometimes discouragement is from the Lord to test us, to try us, to humble us. Mountaintop experiences are often followed by walking through the valley of the shadow of death. I know it doesn't seem good in the moment. No testing does. But after a great spiritual victory, I think we're prone to get self-sufficient, aren't we? Self-confident. To think much of ourselves. And sometimes we walk the valley of discouragement simply to show us that our sufficiency is not in ourselves, but in the Lord. Look at verse 1 and 2 of our text. After killing all, the, all of her false prophets, Jezebel vows to kill Elijah. The Bible says, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as one of them by tomorrow about this time. You can imagine this would bring discouragement. It's hard to relate. Has anybody ever vowed to kill you? No one's ever vowed to kill me. So I can't fully relate to what Elijah's going through here. Verse 3. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servants there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. Elijah goes into the wilderness and tries to hide and tells the Lord it's better to die than to live. He wants to die by God's hand rather than the hand of his enemies. He's tired from the previous victory. Look at verse 5. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake baking on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, the mountain of God. One cure for discouragement is to rest. It's biblical. Take a break. 
eat, drink, sleep. When we go, 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 discouragement is sure to set in. When work is stressing you out, it's okay to take a day and rest. In California, you can take mental health leave. Do you know that? It allows you time away from work. I don't think badly on people who take mental health leave. Sometimes you need that break to rest, to recoup, to rejuvenate. Maybe you need to take a vacation, even if you don't go anywhere. Have a practice of daily being alone just to breathe and to think. I don't mean meditation. <laughs> I, don't mean de- I don't mean yoga. I mean to just be in the presence of God, to relax. Spend that time thinking on the Lord. Take a walk. Go to the beach. Breathe the fresh air. Do something to detach yourself from your responsibilities. Because when you go, 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 discouragement comes. Weariness comes. And weariness brings discouragement. And that's for regular people. Think about now Christians who are going, going, going on the outside and then fighting the spiritual battles as well. We're double taxed. It's okay to detach yourself, to take a break, to take a breather, to recoup and to rest. That's what Elijah did here. The angel didn't say, get up and get busy, man. We got work to do. He ate and he drank and he slept some more. And the angel comes back later on and wakes him up. It's time to go now. God let him rest. God let him recover and recoup. Sometimes we need to put away our smartphones and our social media and just get out of the loop. We were not meant to have these 24-hour news cycles. We were not meant or made to have constant information thrown at us. It's tiring. It's taxing. It's overwhelming. We were not meant to have these social media connections that we have today. I don't think God made us that way. I think it's damaging to our mental health to be constantly in contact with other people. I think we need that time to break away and say, you know what? No. No, I'm, I'm not going to look. I'm not going to worry about it. Our smartphones become a chain, haven't they? We're slaves to our phones. I don't just mean get off social media. I mean, sometimes you and I, we just need to take a break. Turn your phone off and put it away. If there's an emergency, somebody can reach you, okay? People have reached people in emergencies for thousands of years. It's okay. It's okay if you're overwhelmed, if you're weary, if you're worn, if you're discouraged. To say, you know what, I'm turning my phone off and I'm putting it on the shelf for 24 hours. I'm turning off the TV, turning off all the... I'm going to read the scriptures. I'm going to listen to good gospel music. I'm going to talk to the Lord. I'm going to sleep. I'm going to eat. And I'm going to recover. That is a way to beat discouragement before it sets in. It's okay to live off the grid, by the way. Don't believe the lie that we have to be constantly reachable. That's a lie. There's times it's okay. I came down to my office the other day. I forgot my phone. My wife brought it to me. What a curse that was. I got busier after she brought my phone to me. I wasted more time. I forgot my phone than before I had. 
it was so nice to not have my phone. I read my Bible. I prayed. I got some study done. I never once worried about what time is it? Who posted what? What's going on in the world? What's going on with my friend? I didn't, it didn't even dawn on me. Elijah disconnected. He went into the wilderness to find rest. Jesus often retreated to the quiet places to be alone, to talk to the Father, to be refreshed. As we'll see in a moment, it's in the quietness that we often hear God. Look at verse 9. And he came thither into a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, slain thy prophets with the sword. I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Boy, that's a lot of pressure on one man. <laughs> the entire nation has forsaken the Lord, and I have to restore everything. One lie of discouragement. And by the way, let me preface it by saying discouragement lies to us. You can't detach. It all depends on you. No, it doesn't. All depend on you. Discouragement will lie to you and tell you you can't take a break. You can't afford to detach. One lie of discouragement is it tells us we're unable to do what needs to be done. It tells us that faith is not sufficient. It tells us that God cannot be trusted. That's not true. It all doesn't rely upon you or upon me. God works when we can't work. God is doing a thousand things in our lives every day that we don't see. We are not, let me rephrase that, everything is not dependent upon you and me. It depends upon God. Here it tells Elijah, his discouragement tells him, that he's the only one left. No one else is faithful to the Lord, only me. What a burden to put on somebody. <laughs> if the covenant's going to continue, if the nation's going to go on, if God's promises to Abraham come true, it's, gonna, it's all on you, Elijah. The lie. Elijah's sitting here having a pity party saying, if God succeeds, it's up to me. It's not up to you. As we learn later on in the chapter. Look at verse 18. God says, yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which have not kissed him. Discouragement lied to Elijah. I'm the only one left. I'm the only one. God says, You're, there's 7,000 men in Israel who have not bowed the knee to Baal. You're not alone. It's not on your shoulders. You're one of many. Can I tell you, Christian, you're one of many. This church is not on your shoulders or even on my shoulders. We are one of many who work together for the work of the ministry. The evangelization of the lost is not all on our church. I have to go Saturday. I'm so tired. I'm so weary. But I have to be there or just the gospel is not good. The Great Commission is going to fail. No. If you're tired, stay home. Rest. Take the day off. You know why? Because God has others who are out preaching the gospel. It doesn't, it doesn't rely on us. We are one of many doing the work of God. Don't put it all upon you. Don't let your discouragement lie to you. Discouragement got Elijah's eyes off the Lord 
and unto himself. Don't believe your discouragement. Believe the Lord. Don't listen to the lies that it tells you. Look at verse 11. And he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountain and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord is not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord is not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord is not in the fire. After the fire, a still small voice. Elijah hears from God. Not in the noise or the commotion, but in the quiet. It was in the stillness of the moment that God 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 spoke. I've been around my kids too long. That's terrible English. I should be ashamed of myself. I teach the Christian school. That's That's not okay. Listen, when discouragement sets in, we need a quiet moment to listen to the Lord. Don't look for the big earth-shattering sign from heaven. Just listen. God is speaking to us. In the weariness, in the discouragement, in in the physical and mental tiredness that we have, put everything else aside and listen to God. What is God telling you? Turn off the phone, turn off the social media, turn off the television, turn off the radio, turn off the podcast, turn off the distractions, sit alone with God and say, God, I need to hear from you. What are you telling me? I know what my discouragement's telling me. I know what that voice is saying, but that voice lies to me. What do you say? Your truth. When Jesus was praying in the garden, he was suffering and he was in agony over the coming cross that was coming up to him. And he gets himself into this place of full surrender, not my will, but thy will be done. And it says angels came and ministered to him. Angels came and strengthened him in the moment of great tiredness, great weariness, great discouragement. God ministers to his people. God never tells Elijah that it's his fault. There's no, you don't have faith enough, Elijah. You're not trusting me enough, Elijah. Discouragement left to brood will become depression. We need to address a discouragement before it gets to that point. Let me wrap this up with three keys to defeating our discouragement. Number one, get alone and rest. That's so important. Discouragement is a natural thing. It doesn't indicate a fault in you or me. It's natural. It happens even to the godliest people. It's part of being a person. When this feeling sets in, put away the noise, the distractions, and rest. Sleep if you need to. Take in fresh air and sunlight. Go breathe fresh air and listen to the ocean. Talk to people. We need to be there for one another. If you're discouraged, talk to somebody about it. No one in the church should have to feel like they have to keep their problems to themselves. Can I tell you guys something? The first step to defeating discouragement is to realize it's okay not to be okay. You don't have to put on a face and come to church and pretend we're just a spiritual victory all the time. We are people. And sometimes we're tired. And sometimes we're discouraged. And sometimes we're down. And that's okay to tell one another, to encourage one another, to lift one another. It's okay to not be in perpetual victory here. Understand that. No masks. No pretending. 
We need to be honest with one another. If someone comes in here and if they're discouraged, what should you do? Obey Galatians 6.2. Bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now the context there directly was sin, but there's an application made to discouragement too. Somebody comes in bearing a burden, bear it with them. Bear it for them. Help them out. That's what we're supposed to do within the body of believers. Number two, talk to the Lord. This takes us back to the Billy Graham quote. Take your discouragement to God and pour out your heart to him. He cares for us. He understands our frailty. He sympathizes with our weaknesses. He supports us. Elijah is honest with the Lord. <laughs> I want to die. I want to die. The Lord doesn't rebuke him. What does he say? Elijah, have more faith. Why aren't you walking in victory? What does the Lord do? Makes him a cake, gives him some water, has him take a nap. He supports him. He ministers to him. He gives him time. He knows his frame. He knows he's frail. We have the living bread from heaven. When you're weak, seek that bread that satisfies and strengthens. Drink again of the water of life and be sustained. In your deepest discouragement, get deeper into the Bible. Get on your knees. Get deep in it with God. Confess everything. Tell him how you feel. I don't say confess. I don't mean it's a sin. It's not a sin to be discouraged. But when you're discouraged, tell God. Tell him everything. Tell, he knows how you feel. Tell him how you feel. Ask him for strength. Ask him for encouragement. Ask him to sustain you. Don't wallow in self-pity. Oh, that, that'll bring your, your weariness goes to, to, to discouragement, and that will bring your discouragement to depression. Don't wallow in your self-pity. Go to the Lord. Go to the Lord. Don't wallow in your circumstances. Go to the Lord. Get your eyes on the I am. Remind yourself that Christ is sufficient for all that we need. Jesus wept in the Garden of Gethsemane but he accepted the will of the Father. It's okay to cry. It's okay to struggle. But when the tears have stopped, when the sorrow is past, lean upon the Lord. Seek him. Seek his strength. Seek him to sustain you. The greatest tool we have against discouragement, church, is acceptance. Jesus cried in the garden, as it were, great drops of blood poured from his hand. He went through the ringer, didn't he? And when the tears were passed, what did he say? Not my will, your will be done. The greatest tool we have to battle discouragement is acceptance of the Lord's will. Acceptance. This is God's will for me right now, and I'm going to do it. I'm not going to have self-pity. I'm not going to wallow. I was discouraged. The Lord sustained me, and I'm going to pursue now what God has for me to do. Lean upon the word of God. This arcs back to the quote by Warren Wiersbe. This is where we hear from God. The scriptures are food for those who will eat. 
let me give you this quote again. The remedy for discouragement is the Word of God. When you feed your heart and mind with its truth, you regain your perspective and find renewed strength. God spoke to Elijah in the quietness, in the still, small voice. Don't look for the vision. Don't look for the earthquake. Don't look for the room to fill with light. Don't look for an angel to appear. Stop and listen to what God has to say. And by the way, he's going to say it through his word. More than likely, he's going to answer it from the word. Get alone with the word, and as you read, listen. As you read, ask. And as you ask, listen. Feast upon Christ. Talk to Christ. Rest in Christ. He is sufficient for our discouragement. I'm going to leave you with the words of the hymn written by John Moore. Days are filled with sorrow and care. Hearts are lonely and drear. Burdens are lifted at Calvary. Jesus is very near. Cast your care on Jesus today. Leave your worry and fear. Burdens are lifted at Calvary. Jesus is very near. Troubled soul, the Savior can see every heartache and tear. Burdens are lifted at Calvary. Jesus is very near. Why would we go anywhere else but Calvary with our discouragement? He's very near to those who are discouraged. He's very near to those who are weary. Are you weary tonight? Are you discouraged, downtrodden? Christ is near tonight. Look to the cross. When discouragement hits, go boldly to the throne of grace. We have not a high priest that cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. You'll find mercy and grace to help in time of need. I promise that. Look to Christ in your discouragement. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this time together tonight in the Word. I pray, Lord, as I have recently tasted of the well of discouragement, but I drink more deeply of the water of life. And Lord, as we all, as we walk this journey of life, we meet with times of tiredness and times of discouragement, Lord. May we stop and rest, eat of the bread of life, drink of the water of life, and continue in the strength of that. Oh, Lord, if there's any here tonight who are discouraged, lift their hearts. Help us to bear their burdens with them. Help them to look to the cross, for you are very near. We love you tonight, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.